0: And it's all—it's really wonderful to be here on a day when Anne and Andrew are recognized the way they were a moment ago. Because I do have wonderful flashbacks of meeting in your basement, and I would—I'd be visiting up from, uh, from Toronto, and they would go to church in your basement. And uh, though that, that's uh, it is an absolute joy just to stand back and say, "Isn't isn't God absolutely amazing?" But again, not to flatter you, but to praise God for you—it's the faithfulness. The stick-to-itiveness, the vision, the refusing to let go, and just knowing this is God, and no matter how difficult you just pray, so there, yeah, you know what, you did it, praise God, you did it, and I hope you know that you 're absolutely loved, like crazy it 'll teach you that 'll teach you that 'll teach you you 're loved, good, we pray together, and father it 's a marvelous thing to be here this, this morning, we can't, we can 't thank you enough, father we 'd have a real struggle. And just when we think we've said it all, we, we realize we haven't come close. You're a wonderful God, and we praise you. And Father, it, it takes it's a, it's a lot to sink in the reality that, Lord, you are right here. So Father, it's our prayer that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher this, this morning. It's our prayer that the word of God will be the living word of God. And we'll find home in our hearts. And it's our prayer, Lord, that whatever doesn't belong in our lives, we'll let go of that. Whatever is getting in the way, we will want to be free of that today. It's our prayer that you will do your perfect work in our hearts and minds as a community and as individuals and families. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen. So, yeah, don't just do something, stand there. The, um, we're gonna look at a section of scripture from the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah. Uh, it's, it's gonna be familiar for some folks, and it might be brand new for others. But, um, I'm thankful to Andrew for this particular translation on the screen. I'll read a little bit, maybe. Well, maybe I'll read all of it. Here we go. The Lord's message came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still confined in the courtyard of the guardhouse. I, the Lord, do these things. I, the Lord, form the plan to bring them about. I am known as the Lord. I say to you, call on me in prayer, and I will answer you. I will show you great and mysterious things that you still do not know about. For I, the Lord God of Israel, have something more to say about the houses in this city and the royal buildings of Judah that have been torn down for defenses against the siege ramps and military incursions of the Babylonians hanging there, folks. The defenders of the city will go out and fight with the Babylonians. But they will only fill those houses and buildings with the dead bodies of the people that I will kill in my anger and my wrath. That will happen because I've decided to turn my back on this city on account of the wicked things they've done. These are really rough words. But I will most surely heal the wounds of this city and restore it and its people to health. I will show them abundant peace and security. I will restore Judah and Israel and will rebuild them as they were in the days of old. I will purify them from all the sin that they've committed against me. I will forgive all their sins that they have committed in rebelling against me. And the nations will hear about all the good things that I will do for them? This city will bring me fame, honor, and praise before them for the joy that I bring it. The nations will tremble in awe at all the peace and prosperity that I will provide for it. I, the Lord, say, you and your people are saying about this place, it lies in ruins. There are no people or animals in it. That is true. The towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem will soon be desolate, uninhabited either by people or by animals. But happy sounds will again be heard in these places. Once again, there will be sounds of joy and gladness and the glad celebrations of brides and grooms. Once again, people will bring their thank offerings to the temple of the Lord and will say, give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good and his unfailing love lasts forever. For I, the Lord, affirm that I will restore the land to what it was in the days of old. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, say, this place will indeed lie in ruins. There will be no people or animals in it, but they will again be in it. And in its towns, sheepfolds where shepherds can rest their sheep. I, the Lord, say that shepherds will once again count their sheep as they pass into the fold. They will do this in all the towns in the hill country, the footholds, the Negev, the territory of Benjamin, the villages surrounding Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. I, the Lord, affirm the time will certainly come when I will fulfill my gracious promise concerning the nations of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will raise up for them a righteous descendant of David. He will do what is just and right in the land. Under his rule, Judah will enjoy safety and Jerusalem will live in security. At that time, Jerusalem will be called. The Lord has provided us with justice. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So the scene, Jeremiah confined in a prison courtyard. Why? He's confined in a prison courtyard because he's been faithfully preaching the word of the Lord. Yes, concerning pending judgment of God. The king does not want to hear the word of the Lord. Tell us we're fine. Tell us all is well. Tell us there's nothing to fear. Tell us there's nothing to repent of. Tell us we can just keep on living lives as we choose to live. Doing what we choose. Drawing near to God with our lips while our hearts are far from him. Tell us we can determine what is right and what is wrong. Without any negative consequences. Tell us that, Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was faithful, and the results of faithfulness, isolation, scorn, derision, mockery, can anybody relate? Yet in that prison courtyard, though Jeremiah was confined, the word of the Lord was not confined. While Jeremiah was confined in the courtyard of the guard, the Lord gave him another message. Now when I just read that little bit, I'm challenged about how it speaks to me already. In those times When it seems nobody else understands. When nobody else gets it. When nobody understands the burden. When no one else seems to care. Or believe. When others are suggesting that you have every reason to be afraid. When others are suggesting you really should pack it in. You really should give up. You really should cave. The word of the Lord comes to you. Those promises of God that you've tucked away in your heart and mind. Come to you and speak life to you and encouragement to you and get you back up on your feet again. Amen. Light begins to shine again. Even if no one else sees it, appreciates it, understands it, believes it. You know it. And in that place of whatever that confinement is, whatever that marginalization is for you, you know you're not alone. You've been made to feel like you're you're not alone. You know you're free. Jeremiah even in a prison courtyard, when the word of the Lord came to him, he knew he was free. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah promising what must have seemed absolutely impossible. The certainty of restoration for a nation in captivity. And the Lord would encourage Jeremiah to call with the promise that he would do great and mighty things. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah, verse 1, a second time while he was still confined in the courtyard of the guardhouse. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah. And again, just to pause on that, what a kind God we serve. A God who meets us where we are. For Jeremiah in a prison courtyard. God knows where you are and what you're going through. Whatever the difficult work environment might be, many can relate to that. Whatever the home situation might be, less than best to say it nicely. Maybe it's actually a hospital bed. Maybe it's quite literally For many people, a prison cell. And in that situation, the Lord so kindly invites us to come close, invites you to come close. For Jeremiah, he'd been forced out of the temple, and yet, here's something interesting. The Lord went with him out of the temple. And while the ruler and the religious leaders may have tried to cut him down and cut him off, the Lord stood by him and shared his heart with him. What do we see about the Lord? Look at verse 2. I, the Lord, do these things. I, the Lord, form the plan to bring them about. I, the Lord, I am known as the Lord. This is what I say to you. I say to you, so number one, and it's huge, isn't it? We serve a God who delights to speak. He's not a God who's distant, who wants to keep us in the dark and make us wonder who he is and what's on his heart. He's a God who delights to communicate with those who have ears to hear. I, the Lord, speak to you. And you have that picture perhaps coming to your mind. When Jesus, in the third chapter of Revelation, says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone will hear, it's not that I'm not speaking, but are you listening? The Lord delights to speak. Am I listening? Jeremiah was listening. Are we listening? In his kindness and his mercy, he chooses to speak to those who are ready to hear what he has to say. My father, I miss him a lot. He was in his 102nd year. But I remember when my dad really came alive in his faith in Christ. And he was in his 80s. Uh, and after my mother died, um, my dad would phone me in absolute awe. And he'd say, Bruce, do you realize that when I pray, the God of the universe is in my living room? Yeah. I'd longed for decades to get to a place to hear my dad say that. He's a God who speaks, who comes close in a prison courtyard. He's the creator. He's the maker. He's unchangeable. He's omnipotent. And this is enough to make our hearts sing when we're going through the most difficult of times. Someone said it something like this. This is a pretty poor paraphrase on my part. It's difficult to remain in fear or doubt when you remember that your closest friend is omnipotent. And what about this amazing creator, maker, omnipotent, unchanging one? What is he saying? He's saying in verse 3, here's what I want you to do, Jeremiah. I want you to call on me in prayer, and I will answer you. You call. Your part, Jeremiah, is to call. My part, Jeremiah, is to answer you. You have your part I have my part. Don't miss your part. Call on me. Call on me while you are in the prison courtyard. Call on me while you are burdened for your country. Call on me when all seems lost. Call on me. Don't call on me once you've got it all figured out. Call on me now when you can't see past your nose. Call on me now. When there's not a glimmer of light. Call on me now. Christian, call on him. You who are longing for an awakening in Canada, call on him. Call on him in regards to all of your relationships. Call on him concerning every member of your family. Call on him. And I would say on this wonderful day in honor of leadership here in this congregation, new life, call on him. Thursday night, call on him. Call for direction. Call for guidance. Call for anointing. Call for empowerment. Call for that jewel sensitivity to both the Holy Spirit and the people you long to see come. To reach for Christ. Call upon him. Number one, when I read those words, call me, that's an invitation. It's also a command. But it's an invitation. And it may seem odd at first read that God would have to tell a man like Jeremiah to pray. It's true that when, uh, our kids are out playing, or in my case, grandkids are out playing, they might need to be reminded that it's time to come inside to eat. They might be reminded it's time to have a bath, to change their clothes. They might need to be reminded on a Monday morning, it's time to get up and get going. But adults, it would seem hard, odd to think we have to remind somebody that you really should eat. That we have to remind somebody that you really should bathe that you really should get dressed, that you really should get up. And yet, sadly, it would seem we do need a mega reminder about the need to pray. The big deal here, as I read verse 3, is God wants us to pray. God wants us to call. I have that story of Jonah coming to my mind. You remember the story? He's in the boat. He's uh, trying somehow to escape God's plan for his life. Good luck with that. And there's a huge storm on the sea. And the sailors are in a panic. And the captain is at a loss. He doesn't know how he's going to save the ship or the lives on board. And where is Jonah? Where is Jonah? Yeah, he's fast asleep. In a dreamland, oblivious to the storm. And what does that captain ask him to do? How can you sleep at a time like this, Jonah? Get up and pray to your God, and maybe he will pay attention to you and will spare our lives. We don't need to go too far on this. Is it a stretch, though, to suggest the same is true? In many ways, thankfully there's wonderful exceptions, but in many ways concerning the church in Canada. Asleep, as storms ravage our country, our city, our neighborhoods, and the lives of our friends, our colleagues, our family, and our neighbors. So again, without not having to go too far, you know as well as I do and this is really important, and I have to remind myself of this at times when I've lost it, there actually is somebody who will be very pleased if we do not take the invitation or command seriously. Very pleased. In fact, Jesus lets us know about this. He calls him a thief. He calls him a robber. He calls him a liar. And what does that thief, robber, liar say to us? Things like this. There's no need to get too worked up about this. I mean, pray. I mean, really. Think about it. I mean, be honest. Does God really answer prayer? I mean, isn't it a coincidence? Isn't it just a coincidence? Things happen. Good, bad. And also, if God knows what you need before you even ask, then why bother asking? He already knows. So why bother God with that? I mean, and also, look. Look at your calendar. You're a busy person. You're really busy. I mean, how can God expect? And it takes time. Wouldn't that be kind of irresponsible on your part to go to a prayer meeting when there's so much more to do? I mean, certainly other people can pray. That's good for them, and so they should. But you, how about you just focus? Just focus on being kind. Just focus on visiting the lonely. That's good. Just focus on feeding The hungry, that's good. That's good. Keep it up. Lend a hand. I mean, from where I sit, if anyone deserves a break, it's you. So why not just give it a rest? Take a load off. Have a seat. In fact, don't just have a seat. Why don't you lie down? In fact, don't just lie down. Why don't you go to sleep? And your response and my response, and I hope I don't hurt anybody's ears with our response, is no, I will not drift. I will not doubt. I will not doze. I will pray to see with new eyes. I will pray to feel with a new heart. I will pray to serve with new hands. I will call on the Lord. I will call on the Lord. I will call on the Lord. Listen to these wonderful verses that invite us to do just that. Psalm 34. The helpless call to him, and he answers. He saves them from all their troubles. Psalm 116. The helpless call to him, and he answers. He saves them because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Psalm 13. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray. Romans 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point clearly is, God wants us to be a people who call on him. Call on him. Amen. I need to call on him. And the second part. I will answer you. I mean, it's clear. Again, our part, call. His part, answer. And I love this. I will answer you. Not, I might answer you. Not, I'll think about, it's possible. There's a good chance. No, I will answer you. It's his character to answer his children. Jesus invites us. Just as God can't help but love, because God is love, he can't help but answer. It's who he is, it's what he does. Again, listen to these words. If God, Romans 8, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, look out, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us, All things. And Jesus saying to his friends in the 15th chapter of John, here's what I want you to do. Stay joined to me. Let my teachings become part of you. Then you can pray for whatever you want. And your prayer, Jesus says, will be answered. And when you become fruitful disciples of mine, my father will be honored. I have loved you as my father has loved me. You remain faithful to my love for you. I will answer. Hebrews 4. When we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. And look out. There we will be treated with undeserved grace. And we will find help. Put on your seatbelt. Exodus 23. I will bless you. I will protect you. Joshua 1.5. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Psalm 32. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Jeremiah 30. I will restore you to health. I will heal your wounds. Proverbs 4. I will instruct you in the way of wisdom. I will lead you along straight paths. Psalm 50. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Isaiah 58. I will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. Isaiah 41. I will strengthen and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Look out Ezekiel 34 is coming. I will search and find my sheep. I will find my sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them back home. I will feed them. I will give them good pasture. I will tend my sheep. I will bandage the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Isaiah 44, I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, I will comfort you. Isaiah 46, I will be your God all your life. Ezekiel 37, I will save you from everything that defiles you. I will put my spirit within you and you will live. For Samuel 10, the Holy Spirit will come powerfully upon you. Isaiah 54, with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Revelation 3, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. And Revelation 2, 10, if you remain faithful, I will give you a crown Of life. We make promises. And we mean them. People make promises to us. We hope they mean them. At times. People can let us down. At times we can let people down. God will not let you down. I will answer. And the final thing. Call unto me. Yes, I'm getting that. I will answer, oh my, and I will show you the answers that God wants to show Jeremiah can be likened to CN Tower size answers. They're huge for Jeremiah in his situation, as he called on the Lord. It relates relates to having a sneak preview of what would be on the immediate horizon. And even as I read it, it was hard to hear. But also, God, in his love and kindness, would grant Jeremiah a glimpse of the big picture, and a huge picture, a picture that points to Christ. And judgment, yes, would be immediate. They had shaken their fist at God for so long. But the promise of restoration was just as certain as the judgment on the horizon. Isn't that wonderful? Is there more, is there more of an attractive word when it comes to people on your heart and in your relationships, church, the city, the nation? Is there a more attractive word than the word restoration? Our God is a God who delights to restore. You know, maybe maybe all kinds of scripture come into your mind. Maybe the most obvious is from Psalm 23. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me rest in meadow green and he leads me beside quiet streams. He keeps on giving life to me. Isn't that wonderful and helps me to do what honors him the most. And even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will never be afraid, for he is close beside me, guarding and guiding all the way. He spreads a feast before me. In the presence of my enemies, he welcomes me as his special guest with blessings overflowing. And goodness and loving kindness shall be with me all of my life. And afterwards, I'll live with him forever in his home. He restores my soul. He keeps on giving life to me. I believe it was Spurgeon who said something like, God just loves to be believed in. In other words, God is literally waiting to be asked. He's waiting to be trusted. He's waiting to be believed in. That little verse that's tucked away in 2 Chronicles 16 came to my mind when I was thinking about this. These are the words. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I'll just say it one more time. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Such was the heart of Jeremiah. And again, it must have seemed a bit silly, a bit of a stretch. Babylon is literally about to lay a beating on this nation. And Jeremiah is saying, our God will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past and he invites those who are listening to join him in singing before it even happens right give thanks to the lord of heaven's armies the lord is good his faithful love endures forever singing i would imagine as tears are rolling down his cheeks singing as his heart is grieving for his people, as his heart is broken, as all seems lost, singing in a holy confidence to the one for whom nothing is impossible. It must have seemed odd, but it must have seemed seemed just as odd, perhaps, when Elijah would stand outnumbered 400 to 1 on Mount Carmel. It must have seemed odd, To others as inmates and the prison guard would hear Paul and Silas singing hymns while locked up inside before the earthquake set them free. It must have seemed odd as young David ran towards Goliath with a sling and a stone in his hand. It must have seemed odd when Pharaoh's armies are right on your heels and all Moses has is a big stick. It must have seemed odd when there are literally thousands of people whose tummies are rumbling and all that's in the hands of Jesus, some bread and some fish. It must have seemed odd. Difficulty is the very atmosphere of miracle. Our Lord knows. He is not, as someone said years ago, I've helped me a lot. He is not the great I was. He's the great I am. Jeremiah knew that he was the great I am. And my prayer, and I'm looking in the mirror when I say this, is we may know it too, regardless of what prison we may find ourselves praying from. Amen. Father, um, it it kind of feels like we should all take our shoes off. You're a wonderful God, and you are so holy, and you are so kind. Father, it would be marvelous if just that one word would penetrate deeply into who we are, individually, And as a community, call. Father, I have no idea what folks are going through, but it's absolutely lovely to know that you do. I don't know what difficulties are happening, but you do. And perhaps there may be some of us who just kind of resigned ourselves to them. It may be somebody on your heart. You've, you love with everything you've got. You long for that person to come to a place of living faith in Christ. And there's no indication that it's coming close to being real. And there may be a temptation or a tendency just to give up. Father, I would pray that none of us will give up. All those you lay in our hearts, for whatever reason may seem distant now from Christ. I would pray that would cause us to be all the more fervent and all the more determined to hold on and to call and to call and to call for them to have their hearts melted in the presence of the love of God. It may be again, Father, I'm only using my imagination. But it's situations in workplaces and at home. It could be financial stuff. We can, most of us can relate to that. Father, I would pray you would impress upon us the need and how much you want us to call. You love to be believed in. May that sink in deep. And Jesus, our ultimate prayer always is you would be glorified. It would all bring glory to you. Hear our cry, Father, as we give you praise. Amen.